What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. Happy that you guys are taking a little bit of your busy day to spend some time listening to us. We got a really good show on tap. We're going to be discussing the Patriots taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. Is that a trap game for Philly? Kyle Shanahan, for a guy who's been to three NFC championships in the Super Bowl, gets a lot of disrespect. Going to be giving my thoughts on it. Colorado, Nebraska, Texas and Miami, Texas versus Alabama. We got a preview and give our predictions for some of the biggest games on the Week 2 college football slate. And Oklahoma, I think they're on upset alert this week. We saw what happened to Baylor, TCU, and Clemson during week one of the college football season. Week two, we're going to see some more big-name programs go down, losing to teams that are going to make you scratch your head and say, what the hell just happened? Before we begin today's show, if you haven't already, make sure that you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern. We're not just a YouTube channel. You can find every episode of the podcast available in audio format on all podcasting platforms. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us with a five-star review. We will greatly appreciate it. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews by the end of this month. We're currently are at 70 right now so if you want to support the channel in the podcast go ahead leave us with a five-star review on apple and spotify all you got to do is type in the jt sports podcast on whichever podcasting service you use and it will pop up or you can go down to the description down below and there will be the links to the apple and spotify versions of the podcast philadelphia's traveling to the mystical foxborough to take on New England, and the Eagles are a four-point favorite going into this matchup, which is oddly surprising and makes you wonder, what does Vegas see with New England that has this point spread so small? Because you would have thought that Philadelphia would at least be a seven-point favorite going into this game prior to the odds coming out. New England, they don't really have a super-talented roster They got a really damn good defense, one of the more underrated defenses in the NFL. They got a fantastic defensive line, Christian Barmore, Matthew Judon, Dietrich Wise. There are a lot of stout defensive linemen on the Patriots defense. And I think that that gives them a good chance at being able to win this game. You see, Philadelphia has a top five, top three offensive line and defensive line and if you want to be able to win in today's NFL you got to be able to win up front and if you're good up front there's not really too many games that you don't have a shot at winning New England offensively they're going to be way better this year you're going to have a new offensive coordinator in Bill O'Brien we know he's not a great head coach but they're not asking him to be the head coach they're just asking him to call the plays and he's a really good offensive coordinator Philadelphia defensively, their secondary looks like a mismatch made in heaven comparing their cornerbacks matching up against New England's wide receivers. And Juju Smith-Schuster, according to some reports, he has some 
concerns surrounding his knee. People are calling it a ticking time bomb. That thing could explode at any moment and it could be the end of his season. And then you got Demario Douglas, who is a young, promising rookie out of Liberty from the city, 904 Duval who probably is New England's second best receiver right now behind Kendrick Bourne, but he's questionable to play in this game. So defensively, Philadelphia, you like your chances against New England's offense. But what about New England in particular can they do offensively to keep this game close? Because there is a reason why Philly is only a four-point favorite. And I think with what the talent the New England Patriots have that tight end. I think they're going to be able to utilize that talent a lot better than what Matt Patricia did last season. And you remember when the Patriots went to the Super Bowl and they lost the New York Giants, they were destroying the NFL that year with Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gontowski. Now you got Mike Gusecki and you also have Hunter Henry, who could be Really big X factors in this game for New England. They don't got a lot of talent at wide receiver, so therefore, they're going to have to compensate with that by being able to get big plays out of their tight ends. And Bill O'Brien utilizes a lot of two tight end sets. You may look at New England's offense and be like, who the hell is Mac Jones going to throw the football to? But you got to look at their tight ends. If Philadelphia can't slow down these tight ends, this is how New England is going to be able to score some points on this defense offensively. And the Patriots, defensively, they're going to be able to slow down Philadelphia's offense. I don't think that Philadelphia is going to go for 100 points on New England's defense. Bill Belichick is doing some really creative and innovative things on the defense side of the football. And his defense has a lot of speed. It utilizes a lot of defensive backs. And nickel and dime packages kind of serving as linebackers in a sense. And they have multiple guys in the secondary that have this ability to play around the line of scrimmage. Philadelphia, you're going to be bringing in a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. How is the camaraderie going to be on your new staff if you're Nick Seriani? The last time Nick Seriani was calling plays, it wasn't looking too good for this offense. Now, Philadelphia, their defensive line versus the Patriots' offensive line is going to be a big mismatch. New England's offensive line was not that good last year, and it probably isn't going to be all that great this year. Now, it shouldn't be as bad as what it was in 2022, but Philadelphia has pretty much the best and deepest defensive line in the NFL. That's going to be a huge issue for the New England Patriots, but the Philadelphia Eagles could struggle. Because New England, their defensive line matches up really good against Philadelphia's offensive line. Philadelphia, their offensive line is pretty much regarded as the best in the NFL. New England's defensive line is probably around top five range. If the defensive line can make some big plays behind the line and they can limit the amount of big rushing plays that Philadelphia generates with Jalen Hurts and DeAndre Swift and whatnot, and they can get this game becoming a pass-heavy approach by Philadelphia, it plays into New England strengths. And New England strengths on defense are how good they are at being able to get after the quarterback and being able to limit big plays in the passing game. 
They also have a lot of guys on this defensive line who are more than capable of being able to contain Jalen Hurts and keep him inside the pocket and keep him from getting outside the pocket, extending plays and picking up big yardage with his legs. The Patriots are a trap game for the Philadelphia Eagles because they may not be the most talented team, but you do know that this team is going to be extremely well coached. They're going to be buttoned up. They're not going to beat themselves. And that's what makes the Patriots such a difficult matchup week one. You can't base New England solely based on talent. People think that New England is going to be a 3-4 win team this year because they don't got a lot of talent. But New England has never really been a team that's been successful all because they've had one of the best rosters in the NFL. They've been successful because they also have really great coaching. And that's why I believe Vegas has Philly as just a four-point favorite going into this game as opposed to them being a six- or seven-point favorite going into this game. It's week one. The Patriots are going to be ready to play. They're going to be buttoned up. They're going to be well-coached. And this offense should improve. But overall, I expect Philadelphia to come out with the win. At the end of the day, this is a game that still comes down to, do you have the playmakers who are capable of making big plays in the big moments down the stretch? And I think that Philadelphia has more than that, as opposed to New England. If New England's down the touchdown and they got a minute and 30 on the clock and they need Mac Jones to drive them down the field, the win I don't like their chances against Philadelphia's defense, in particular with how good this pass rush is and how poor is. New England's offensive line was in 2022. Kyle Shanahan has been the head coach of San Francisco for the last seven years. And despite leading San Fran to three NFC Conference Championship games, a Super Bowl, multiple division titles, people out there believe that Kyle Shanahan is overrated. You think about what happened with the Trey Lance situation, and a lot of people have a sour taste in their mouth because of it. They say, Kyle Shanahan's so overrated, he can't develop quarterbacks, he isn't good in late game situation, he blows leads in big games, he's overrated, he barely has over a 500 winning percentage. Here's the thing, right? I think that anybody calling Kyle Shanahan overrated is solely basing it based on the Trey Lance incident. You can't judge a head coach based on one missed draft pick. Bill Belichick has whiffed in the draft plenty of times. Still a Hall of Fame coach. Same thing with Andy Reid, Bill Parcells. Every head coach isn't going to hit on every draft pick. And every head coach that's an offensive-minded coach isn't going to be able to develop every single quarterback they get. You got to be able to somewhat be able to fit what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. And his system, and Trey Lance wasn't a good fit in Kyle Shanahan's system. I don't think Kyle Shanahan should be disrespected because he missed on Trey Lance. There's a lot of different factors that goes into a quarterback being successful and not being successful in today's league. Yes, you do have to fault Kyle Shanahan for whiffing with the Trey Lance pick and his development, but let's not act like he didn't make it to the NFC Championship last year with the last pick of last year's draft and Brock Purdy, Mr. Relevant. Let's not act like 
Kyle Shanahan didn't draft and develop Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, and some of the other promising young talent on this roster. And then you also have to think about this. Can you name me three other head coaches in the NFL that have been to three conference championships and the Super Bowl since 2017, which is when Kyle Shanahan got hired by the 49ers? If we're going to call Kyle Shanahan overrated, I want to put his resume against the other coaches who we perceive to be better than Kyle Shanahan. My guy Juice tried to tell me that Brian Dable was a better coach than Kyle Shanahan. How the hell does that make sense? Kyle Shanahan has been to three NFC championships in the Super Bowl, has won his division multiple times. How does that make him overrated? And let's not act like, oh, JT, you making this stuff up. Who's calling Kyle Shanahan overrated? Go to the community tab on my channel and check the recent poll we just put out. 50-something percent of people think Kyle Shanahan is not overrated, and 40-something percent do. So obviously, there's something about Kyle Shanahan that rubs people the wrong way. His clock management late in games can be a little questionable, but who doesn't have questionable clock management? Do you remember when the Raiders upset the Patriots last year? That wasn't great clock management by Bill Belichick. Even Andy Reid has questionable late game decision making at times. Every head coach is not perfect. At the end of the day, we look at Kyle Shanahan and if we were to judge him solely based on resume and accomplishments and not based on personal opinions, I think that we all could agree that Kyle Shanahan, based on what he's achieved in San Francisco, multiple conference championship appearances, been to the Super Bowl, I think that he probably would be regarded as a top five coach if we're just judging him based on his accomplishments and resume as the 49ers head coach. How many other head coaches since 2017 can say they've been to three conference championships and the Super Bowl? Kyle Shanahan is not overrated. He's properly rated. He's a top 10, arguably top five head coach. There's nobody within the last six, seven years in the sport in the NFC that has accomplished what Kyle Shanahan has accomplished. Maybe outside of Sean McVay, that's about it. How many other coaches other than Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan have been to multiple conference championship appearances within the last couple of years since he has become the head coach of the 49ers? Nobody. You see, it's easy to call a guy overrated when you don't like him. But when we start getting to the nits and crannies of these arguments and we start comparing resumes to resumes like guys like Brian Dable or even Zach Taylor, Kyle Shanahan trumps all. There's not too many coaches in the NFL that can sit down and say, I've been to three conference championship games in the Super Bowl, and I've done this with several different quarterbacks. Who the hell can take a seven-round pick, last pick of the draft, and go to the NFC championship game with that shit, man? Brian Dable helped elevate the New York Giants. But let's not act like Kyle Shanahan walked into a 49ers franchise that was just rich and loaded with talent. Kyle Shanahan has had more success with the 49ers than what Jim Harbaugh did. And Jim Harbaugh was just as good as what Kyle Shanahan was his first couple of years into the league. 
I don't get this notion about Kyle Shanahan being overrated. What makes Kyle Shanahan overrated? Three NFC championships in the Super Bowl makes him overrated? Well, give me that any day of the week over any other head coach who is perceived to be better than Kyle Shanahan, who doesn't have anywhere remotely close to the resume that he has. We got to stop getting all emotional about this Trey Lance situation. Yes, Kyle Shanahan is a quarterback guru and he is supposed to run a quarterback friendly offense, but that doesn't mean that every quarterback is going to fit your scheme. It's just life. Sometimes you may meet somebody who you feel you got a great connection with and you may feel like they're your soulmate, but it just doesn't work out. That's life. Trey Lance not working out with the 49ers. There's a lot of reasons for why he didn't succeed there and why he's not with the Dallas Cowboys, but it's just life. He just wasn't a good fit in Kyle Shanahan's system and the 49ers weren't the right franchise to develop him. But if we're going to call... Kyle Shanahan overrated because he failed to develop Trey Lance. I'll ask you, what about Brock Purdy? You're calling the dude overrated because he didn't develop Trey Lance? And you're just going to overlook the fact that the 49ers were just in the damn NFC Championship game last year? This is what we're going to do? They also went to the NFC Championship game, if I don't recall, the year before that. In 2021 and 2019. So what are we calling Kyle Shanahan overrated based on? I mean, I think we can assume that people think he's not a top five head coach, but if he's not a top five head coach, name me five other head coaches within the last six to seven years that have been to three conference championship games in the Super Bowl. Not too many. I get why some people call Kyle Shanahan overrated, but it's not really rooted in facts. There's no factual statement that you can bring to support your claim that he's overrated. You're calling him overrated based on your opinion, based on a narrative that's not true, that he can't develop quarterbacks. How can he not develop quarterbacks when he just went to the conference championship game with Mr. Irrelevant? And don't make it seem like anybody would have been able to win with Brock Purdy. He was the last pick of the draft for a reason. He may be the most successful Mr. Irrelevant that there's been in the last couple of years. Mr. Irrelevant is a meme. And Kyle Shanahan went to the NFC Championship with that. What, is, what makes Kyle Shanahan overrated? I would love for you guys to tell me down in the comment section down below, along with five other head coaches within the last six to seven years that have been the three conference championships and the Super Bowl. If you can't tell me any head coaches that have a better resume than Kyle Shanahan, I don't want to hear about them being better. Brian Dable has only been around for one season. He's not better than Kyle Shanahan. He hasn't been to a conference championship game nor a Super Bowl. We got to stop with the disrespect. That's what I'm saying. This is disrespect. Calling Kyle Shanahan overrated is disrespectful to him. He's been to multiple conference championship games. He's won a division multiple times. He's been to the Super Bowl, although he has struggled to win the Super Bowl. Let's not act like he's not one of the best coaches in the NFL. You're looking for some of the best offensive-minded coaches in the league. You're going to think of Andy Reid, Sean McVay, and then Kyle Shanahan. Three NFC championships, one Super Bowl appearance, multiple division titles, and yet Kyle Shanahan is overrated. Make that make sense to me. Come on now, dog. Come on, man.
please. Coach Prime in the Buffs host their home opener against Matt Rule in Nebraska and Colorado. They're feeling really damn good about themselves going into this game because they just shocked the college football world by upsetting TCU. Are they going to go 2-0 this week against Matt Rule in Nebraska who are coming off a really disappointing performance against Minnesota? Nebraska in this game defensively should hold up much better than what TCU did. TCU's defense looked really bad against Colorado. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. And you look at Nebraska, their defense had a really good performance against Minnesota. Minnesota, they're not really known to be an offensive powerhouse, but they do have a pretty talented offense this year. And the fact that Nebraska's defense played the way they did, despite the fact that they didn't get much help from the offense, should tell you how good this defense is. And this defense is going to have to play the same way they did against Minnesota in this game if they want to have a chance. You look at their offense, they're really good running the football. They got a really good running back. Jeff Sims is better running the football than he is throwing the football ball mile. Colorado's run defense really concerns me in this game. We saw how that interior defensive line was getting destroyed by TCU. Anytime they wanted to run the football down their throats, they were able to. They're going to have to correct that in this game against Nebraska because that's a really effective way that the Cornhuskers could move the football. Hell, you don't got to worry about Jeff Sims throwing any interceptions if you don't give him any opportunities to if you just run the football. And if you can keep Colorado's offense off the field and keep their defense on the field by chewing a lot of time off the clock, that benefits you if you're Matt Rule. But if this ends up becoming a high-scoring game and Nebraska has to go tick-for-tack with Colorado, I don't think they're going to be able to do so. They don't have that talented of a team. They don't have a lot of depth. You don't really have a quarterback that has shown you the ability to consistently be able to beat defenses with his arm. Colorado is a three-point favorite in this game, and it's probably because Vegas still is on the fence about how truly good Colorado is. And if you're somebody who still isn't sold on Colorado, you're probably saying, last week was a fluke. Can they do it again against Nebraska? I'll tell you this. Colorado has a lot of advantages in this game that Nebraska doesn't have. And it all starts with the most important position in football, quarterback. Shadur Sanders has obviously proved that he's already one of the best quarterbacks in college football. If you didn't watch any of Shadur at Jackson State or you question his ability to perform at a high level against Power 5 competition, well, you got your answer last week against TCU. 510 passing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He looked flawless out there. Nebraska, they're going to need Jeff Sims to have a good game. Maybe not as good as Shadur, but a way better game than what he had last week. Three interceptions, a couple in the red zone. You can't do that. You can't win games if you're turning the football over in the red area. That's one of the most important deciding factors to determining if a team's going to win or not. So Jeff Sims not being able to effectively throw the football puts Colorado 
at the advantage in this game. Anytime that you have a significant advantage at quarterback, it gives you a good chance to win because you know that you're going to have somebody who's going to make good decisions with the football and who you can trust with the game on the line. If this does end up becoming a close game, do you trust Jeff Sims with the ball in his hands if you're Nebraska? I think Colorado offensively, they match up really well against Nebraska. They got some really talented receivers, Xavier Weaver, Jimmy Horn Jr., Travis Hunter. There's a lot of star players on this Colorado team, and that's what a lot of people don't mention when it comes to Colorado. They may make it seem like they don't got a great roster, but they may not have a super deep, talented roster, but they do have marquee players who are good enough to impact the game, like Travis Hunter, Shadur Sanders, and those are the big difference makers that Nebraska is kind of lacking compared to Colorado. You got two new head coaches, Coach Prime with Colorado, Matt Rule with Nebraska. Both are looking to get their programs into national championship contention, and it looks like Colorado may be the more talented team on paper. And I'm going to take them to win this game. I think they're going to win this game by a pretty big margin. I'll take them 38 to 17 to win this game. I don't think that Nebraska has too much talent on offense to really be able to stretch the field against Colorado's defense the way TCU was able to do. I don't think their offensive line is going to be all that great. And even though Colorado doesn't have a good defensive line and their run defense is probably going to struggle against Nebraska's rushing attack, it doesn't really matter if Colorado is going to be able to be putting points on the board in bunches. And anytime you're going against a high-octane, high-flying offense, you got to be able to throw the football because running the football only gets you so far until you need to score points fast and you need to score them in bunches. I just think that Colorado is a better team. They got the better quarterback. They got the better coaching staff at this moment. There are people who are really skeptical about the hires that Matt Rule has made, especially with his offensive coordinator. I think that Colorado is going to win this game, and they win it pretty convincingly in their home opener. Before we move on, if you haven't already, make sure that you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time. This isn't just a YouTube channel. We're available on all podcasting platforms, wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you are enjoying the episode so far and you want to support us, please give us a five-star review, man. If you got a cell phone, smartphone, Apple, Android, whip that thing out. Go to Apple or Spotify Podcast. Type in the JT Sports Podcast and rate us a five-star review. If you love us and you want to support us, give us a five-star review and share the podcast, man. Because you remember what they used to tell you in elementary school? Sharing is caring. So if you love football and you love this podcast and you know somebody else who loves football just as much as we do, why are you being stingy? Why are you being selfish? Don't hog this podcast all to yourself. Share the love. Spread the wealth. Sharing is caring. If you love football, you know a friend that loves football as much as we do. Spread the word 
about the JT Sports Podcast, man. We're trying to get to 50,000 subscribers. We're only, what, 500 and something subscribers away. So do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and share the podcast with a friend, family member, or acquaintance. Texas versus Alabama, one of the biggest games of the whole entire college football season. We've been waiting all offseason for this one. Last year was a classic. Alabama barely escaped out of Texas with the win, and if Quinn Ewers never would have got injured, most of us believe that Alabama would have lost that game. Well, here we are a year later, 2023. Texas is going on the road, and they got to do something that has very rarely occurred in Tuscaloosa. And that's teams coming from another city and beating Alabama in the city of Tuscaloosa. There's only been two teams in the last couple of years that have pulled off this rare feat. 2019 LSU, when they were led by quarterback Joe Burrow and Ole Miss, back when they had Hugh Freeze as their head coach. So Texas has a really daunting task ahead of them, going on the road and getting the win in Tuscaloosa. But they got a very great chance at doing it. And as a matter of fact, they got a better chance at beating Alabama this season than what they did last year because this is one of the most talented rosters in all of college football. I don't care if you agree with that or if you disagree with that. Texas roster speaks for itself. Their offense is freaking insane. Xavier Worthy, Isaiah Nayer, Jordan Winnington, Quinn Ewers. They got a really good offensive line that was very young last year. There's so much talent on this Texas offense that if you can't really give Texas their props and saying that, oh, they got a good team, then I kind of got to say you're a hater. Defensively, Many Longhorn fans feel this is the best defense that they've had in a very long time. Very good secondary. Very good on the front seven. If this was a team that was looking to make it into the college football playoffs, you feel really good about putting your trust in this year's Texas team. But you look at Alabama, right? And I think that Alabama is being incredibly overlooked. Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't picking Alabama to win this game, but there seems to be a narrative that this Bama team isn't as good as previous Bama teams. And that may be true. But I think that Alabama is still good enough to win a national championship. And if Texas is going to get back to the point that they used to be decades ago, and if we're actually going to have a good reason to scream, Texas is finally back. They're going to have to win this game, all right? And if they win this game, I want you to think about what the perception is going to be about Texas football after. Because don't act like you ain't going to be saying Texas football is back neither if they pull off this one. Because if the Longhorns beat Alabama, they would do something that only two teams have done over the last decade. Winning on the road in Tuscaloosa isn't something that you just gloss over and say, oh, it was luck. Like, you went on the road in Tuscaloosa, you got a damn good team. Not anybody just beats Alabama in their own house. So if Texas can pull off this win, I think that this shows us that Texas is actually a legitimate championship contender this year. It's not off-season hype. It's not them being gassed up. It's not nobody drinking the Kool-Aid. If Texas wins this game, I think that everything that's been said about Texas 
prior to the season started will probably be confirmed. This defense is really good. This offense is really good. But Alabama, though, you kind of think about Jalen Milrow at quarterback. And I did a segment on this the other day, and I asked, can Alabama trust Jalen Milrow against Texas? Can Jalen Milrow get the job done and give Alabama the win? Jalen Milrow is no Bryce Young, nothing close to it. But I think that there's a way Alabama can win this game against Texas with him at quarterback. And I don't think he's going to get benched at all. I think he was the better quarterback of the others that they had in competition, especially better than Tyler Buckner. And even though Jalen Milrow isn't the most polished passer, he's a fantastic athlete. And the last time Alabama had a quarterback with this kind of skill set, they went to the college football playoffs with him. His name was Blake Sims. Jalen Milrow, to me, looks like a way better version and way more juiced up and athletic version than what Blake Sims was. And I think with how great of an athlete Jalen Milrow is, if you're Texas, he's really hard to game plan for. I know it seems easy to say, oh, all we got to do is stack the box and stop him from running and we're going to win this game. Like Jalen Milrow is more than capable of being able to kill you over the top. He has a strong arm, a very strong arm, and he has good touch on his deep ball. At times, his accuracy can be hit or miss. But when Jalen Milrow is on fire and he's clicking on all cylinders, this Alabama offense can be really difficult to defend. Yes, he isn't going to win any games that you're going to ask him to throw the football 30, 40 times. Alabama probably wants Jalen Milrow throwing the football no more than 25 times at most in this game. Alabama, their offensive philosophy is back to what it used to be in the early days of the Nick Saban era at Alabama. Smash mouth football. We're going to put a lot of emphasis on running the ball and being better and more physical than you on both sides of the ball. And Alabama's defense is as talented as it has been in a couple of years. This may be the most talented defense that Bama has had since 2020. Texas offense is going to get tested in a major way. And Quinn Ewers. He was balling his ass off the last time Alabama played against Texas. I mean, damn. He was looking like a full possessed out there. He had Xavier Worthy for a beautiful pass last year down the sideline. He was making all kinds of tight window throws. Quinn Ewers looked like that dude against Alabama. Is he going to be able to channel that inner dog in him again this season? Is he going to be able to channel that same performance that he had against Alabama last year, this year? Because you're going to need that. You're not going to beat Alabama having average to okay quarterback play. When you think about the teams that have slayed the beast that is Alabama, they've all had fantastic out-of-this-world quarterback play, or they at least had great team performances. Alabama is going to have the home field advantage. And when they were playing on the road against Texas, Texas home field advantage was a major reason why that game was so close. Texas to beat Alabama, not just do you have to beat Alabama, but you also have to be able to find a way to win with all that crowd noise. It's not the easiest atmosphere to win that. And Quinn Ewers, just how improved is he this season from where he was last year? Because last year, he was inconsistent. He struggled with decision-making at times. He got a little bit 
paranoid and trigger happy when he got under pressure at times. This Alabama defensive line, they got a lot of NFL defensive linemen on this year's squad. Guys like Dallas Turner are going to be a really big difference maker for Alabama's defense in this game. And for this offensive line, the talent is there, but you're going against one of the better defensive lines in all of college football. And you're going to need Quinn Ewers to be able to step up and make some big throws when he has guys in his face. Something that he didn't really do a great job at last year. So what I'm trying to say is that while you can say that quarterback is a concern for Alabama in this game, I think that is also fair to say that Quinn Ewers' performance in this game also is something that can be a little bit questionable considering how inconsistent he was last year. We're basing Quinn Ewers going into this game based on the performance that he had against Alabama last year and not the whole entire performance that he had throughout 2022. His 2022 campaign was up and down. He has to really show some huge steps in improvement if Texas is going to win this game. I don't think that Texas is going to be able to win this game if they don't get a superstar performance out of Quinn Ewers. And you may say that's common sense, but Jalen Milrow, I don't think that Alabama needs him to be a Heisman Trophy finalist for them to win this game. They got a great team. They got a better team by Texas than Texas. It may not be by a huge margin, but it is a pretty significant margin. They got the highest blue chip ratio out of all teams in college football going into this year. I believe 91% of their roster is comprised of five or four stars. So for Texas, you got to be buttoned up in this game. You can't have any costly penalties. You can't have turnovers in the red zone. You got to be completely flawless when you're trying to beat Alabama especially on the road. When you look at LSU, they had a killer mentality when they went into that game. As a matter of fact, LSU, the way they beat Alabama, made Nick Saban a little bit upset to the point that when they played them the following season, Nick Saban said, yeah, we want to come in here and change the way they think. You're going to need your A++ performance if you're Texas, if you're looking to pull off this win against Alabama. I think that last year, Texas had a great performance against Alabama in 2022, but I do think that Alabama kind of didn't play their best football the last time they played Texas. And I believe this time, you're going to have a Nick Saban team that's going to be ready to play. They're going to be mentally dialed in from the opening kickoff to the final whistle. And you wonder if Texas is going to have that same kind of discipline. I'm taking Alabama to win this game. It was really hard for me to come up with a prediction for this matchup because I am really high on Texas. But with them going on the road playing in Tuscaloosa... You're asking them to do something that only two teams have done in nearly the last damn decade. And you got to play some really great football to be able to beat Alabama. And I'm not questioning Texas being able to have the ability to play a great game against Alabama. But I do wonder if them having a great game against Alabama and Tuscaloosa is still enough for them to get the win. Especially if Alabama is more dialed in for this year's matchup than what they were last year. I can see this game going either way. It's a coin flip. 
But give me Alabama because they're going to have to home field advantage. I trust Jalen Milrow enough that he should be able to make some big plays with his legs and be able to do enough with his arm that should give Alabama the victory. I'm taking the tie 27 to 24. That's my final score prediction for this game. Texas A&M is traveling down to South Florida to take on the Miami Hurricanes. And this is a really big game for both of these two programs because they played last year and Texas A&M got the win, but it didn't mean much because both of these two teams played terrible last season and they both are trying to get their programs back on the up and up, right? Now, both Miami and Texas A&M are really good up front. They got really good offensive lines, really good defensive lines. Both of these defensive lines are going to have multiple players who end up playing on Sundays. There's a lot of talent when you look at this game from the line of scrimmage standpoint. For Texas A&M, this is going to be their first true test in figuring out just how improved this is offense under new offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino. Now, they looked really good last week. And I know they didn't really play anybody of note, but, you know, they did struggle against Appalachian State and they did struggle moving the ball offensively last season for the whole entire year. So the fact that they were able to dominate against an inferior opponent, that's what you want to see. That's improvement. But what are you going to do against a more better team? Miami has a pretty good defense. You got a really good safety duo one of the best safety duos, if not the best safety duo in all of college football and Cam Kitchens and James Williams. And we saw Texas A&M generate a lot of big plays in the passing game last week, something that they've been unable to do for the last couple of years under Jimbo Fisher. Are they going to be able to have the same amount of success this week against a better secondary compared to what they did in week one? And when I'm looking at Miami, they got a lot to prove also. This offense was dog water last year. Texas A&M had a dog water offense, and Miami had a dog water offense also. Now, they got a new offensive coordinator that's bringing in this spread air raid attack pretty much. Now, I don't think that Miami is incredibly stack that talent when it comes to receiver you do have some guys who should be able to step up Xavier Restrepo is my favorite player on this Hurricanes team he's probably the most consistent most dependable wide receiver that Tyler Van Dyke has on this team now you also do have some other promising players as well who could step up and have a big game for Miami at receiver but you really need your wide receiver position to show up in this game because you're going against one of the better secondaries in college football. Texas A&M has a really good secondary. Their corners are top-notch. Their safeties are top-notch. But Miami has a top-notch quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. And if you can't forget what the hell happened in 2022 to him, his 2021 campaign was absolutely insane. And if he plays like how he did in this game in 2021, there's a great chance that Miami pulls off the upset. And Texas A&M is only a four-point favorite going into this game, despite the fact that they have the better roster. And the reason for that is because I think Tyler Van Dyke does make this potentially a game that could be decided on who gets the ball last. I'm still a big believer in Tyler Van Dyke. He has a very good arm, great size. It's just that last year, 
it was just a crapshoot. Miami didn't have a good team around them, didn't have a good offensive line, the receivers were inconsistent, and the offensive coordinator wasn't good. Well, you improved all three of those issues that you had last year and this year's offseason. So with the competent offensive line and some better wide receiver play, I think that we could see Tyler Van Dyke have a game that a lot of people watch on a national level and say, damn, like, I forgot about how good this Tyler Van Dyke dude was. Now, on the other end, Texas A&M has a really good up-and-coming quarterback. His name is Connor Wigman. And Jimbo Fisher was really high on him when he came out of his recruiting cycle. As a matter of fact, Jimbo Fisher called Connor Wigman the best quarterback coming out of that year's recruiting class. Now, you could say he's a little bit biased, but if you watched Connor Wigman last weekend, the majority of his true freshman season in 2022, he was really good. Really good athlete, has a really strong arm. He kind of reminds me a lot of Dak Prescott, and he doesn't really have a lot of turnover issues. And going against Miami, this is a team that you don't want to give them any extra possessions. If you're Texas A&M, you want to come in this game and you want to play a clean game. Because if you give a Mario Cristobal team extra possessions, they're going to make you pay. And plus, Miami is a very physical football team. They're going to have a good amount of time running the football against this Texas A&M defense, given how good this offensive line is. And I think for Texas A&M, defensively, yeah, you're not going to allow Miami to drop 30 on you. But I do think that Miami's offense is going to be way better than what you saw last year when you played against Miami. They got a new system, which looks to fit Tyler Van Dyke very well, and they're going to take a lot of shots down the field. And against the secondary, you like their chances. Well, you like your chances of being able to limit the big plays from this offense, but they also can beat you on the ground. They got a very physical group of running backs. And I'm a really big fan of the offensive line play that Miami received last week, especially when it came to run blocking. And in this game for Mario Cristobal, I definitely think that you're not going to try to win this thing, trying to air it all out. You're going to try to win this game having a balanced approach. But I really believe that Miami should have success running the football against this Texas a and front. I know they got a lot of athletic monsters on that defensive line, but Miami has some athletic monsters on their offensive line. And this is one of the better offensive lines in the ACC. And I know Texas A&M has one of the best defensive lines in the SEC, but I think this is a really good matchup. And I really think that Miami is going to be able to have way more success offensively than what they had last year. So the team I'm going to take to win this game, I got to go with Texas A&M. And it pains me to do this as a Hurricanes fan because I do love my Canes and I do have some pretty low expectations for them this year. And I just don't think that they're good enough to beat Texas A&M this year, at least right now. Texas A&M has been, has been stacking top five recruiting classes for the last couple of years. They're stacked up front, but they're way better at their skill position than what Miami is right now. I think that they're going to have way more explosive plays out of their wide receivers in this game than what Miami's going to get. And I don't think that Miami's secondary is as good as Texas A&M's secondary. I like Miami's safeties, Cam Kitchens and James Williams, but 
I'm not really all that sold on the corners. So we'll see if Texas A&M is able to make the cornerback position of Miami kind of be a little bit of an exploit. Now, when you look at Texas A&M offensively, I mean, they got plenty of guys at wide receiver who can do damage to this Miami Hurricanes cornerback room. Meanwhile, you compare Texas A&M's receivers going up against these Miami Hurricanes cornerbacks, I think that they're going to have a good amount of success against Miami's defense. And that's why I'm going to take Texas A&M to win this game. I'll say they win this game 27 to 20 is my final score prediction for this matchup. I think that Andem wins this game outright, and I believe that they cover. I don't think it's going to be a blowout, though. I think this is going to be a very tough game. I think it's going to be very competitive. You got two very physical teams that are really good up front, and anytime you're good up front, that's always going to be a good clash. But I think the difference between Texas Andem winning this game and Miami losing is the talent that they have at cornerback and wide receiver. I don't know if the Miami Hurricanes wide receivers are consistently going to be able to get open against this A&M secondary, especially with the ball hawks that they have at cornerback. I love Miami safeties, but I'm a little worried about how their corners are going to handle the this A&M passing attack led by Bobby Petrino calling the plays and Connor Wigman at quarterback. So give me Texas A&M to win outright, and I like them to cover. Oklahoma is going up against SMU, and why the hell are we talking about SMU versus Oklahoma? Well, Oklahoma is a 16-point favorite going into this game, and they're playing SMU at home. Now, last year... And year one under Brent Venables at Oklahoma, they had one of the worst defenses in all of college football. And a lot of Oklahoma fans defend Brent Venables and the performance that this defense put on display last year and say he didn't have all of the pieces that he needed. He didn't have a great roster. The roster got depleted due to the transfer portal. And I understand that. Well, this year, year two for Brent Venables, this is going to be a big test for him because if this defense gets shredded by SMU, then I promise to God, Oklahoma's defense is not going to be all that good. If this defense cannot shut down Red Lashley's offense, then this defense hasn't improved at all. SMU, these boys have been cooking in the transfer portal. They had a top 15 transfer portal class during this past offseason, according to 247 Sports. And they didn't just get anybody. They got some top 10 players at running back and receiver out of the portal. And they had one of the most explosive offenses in all of college football last year. Now, they did lose their starting quarterback to Wisconsin, but they got a really good quarterback and Peyton Stone. Now, Peyton Stone is one of the highest rated recruits in SMU program history. And the only reason I was keeping up with SMU football is due to the fact that this Stone guy, he went viral on Instagram because they say he's the next coming of Johnny Manziel. Now, he had a really good week one debut against Louisiana Tech. But we're going to see how he does against this Brent Venables defense because with Brent Venables being the defensive-minded coach, he should be able to have this defense playing at a high level that doesn't allow SMU to go for over 30 against them. Now, Preston Stone, 
This dude can improvise. He can get outside the pocket, extend plays, pick up yardage with his legs, and he also has a really strong arm. So if Oklahoma's defense hasn't improved all that much, I think there's a very good chance that they end up losing the SMU. And it may sound crazy, but I think it's a very good chance it happens. And if you had to ask me on the scale of one through five, my confidence in SMU to pull off the upset, I probably will go four out of five. I know SMU doesn't have a damn defense, but neither did Oklahoma last year. And Red Lashley is one of the best up-and-coming offensive minds in college football. And SMU is a program that's on the rise. They just got admitted into the ACC. They got their NIL collective together. Like, y'all need to do a little bit of homework on SMU and what they've been doing behind the scenes with this football program. Because the guys they've been able to get in the transfer portal is obviously due to NIL. Plus, they got a couple of Miami guys, such as Rooster at running back. So this SMU offense... They're going to be really explosive, and it's going to be a really intriguing matchup seeing Brent Venables against Red Lashley's offense because if Red Lashley gets the best of Brent Venables, then I'm pretty sure a lot of you Sooner fans are going to be really concerned about how this season is going to go. You see, this isn't Arkansas State. You're not going to make Red Lashley cry on the sidelines like how you did the Arkansas State head coach. This is an SMU team that they're going to come into this game and they're going to have all the confidence in the world that they're going to be able to put as many points as possible on this OU defense. We didn't really see any improvement against Arkansas State. You're just so much better than Arkansas State that it's hard to really gauge just how improved overall you are. But SMU, even though they're not going to have a defense, Oklahoma is going to have no problem scoring in this ball game. The question for me is going to be, can Oklahoma slow down the SMU offense that has a lot of talent at wide receiver, a lot of talent when it comes to running back, and a quarterback in Preston Stone who could end up being very good. So I'm not making any predictions in this game. All I'm saying is that you need to keep SMU and Oklahoma on games that could be potential upsets. We saw Duke beat Clemson, Colorado upset TCU. SMU could possibly upset Oklahoma, and they could be the list of upsets to watch week two of this year's college football season. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you leave a like. Subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday. Shout out to everybody in the chat. We got my guy, David Corona, who says, what up, JT? What up, David Corona? Travis Williams says, Bama has to have a good rushing attack with the running backs and the defense. Got to step up against Texas wide receivers. I appreciate all you guys for tuning in. Make sure you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. Listen to the JT Sports Podcast on Apple and Spotify and leave us with a five-star review. I'm going to say it one last time. You got a smartphone, iPhone, laptop, whatever. If you can listen to the podcast on that bad boy, go to Apple or Spotify, type in JT Sports, and the podcast should pop up. Leave us with a five-star review. Share the podcast on your social media platforms with your friends, family members, and acquaintances. And I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.